Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Career Focus. In today's conversation, I sit down with Dr. Shayla White, who's a senior executive advisor at Indeed.com. She's really smart and successful, but she's also just a really cool person that's super involved in both her professional world and personal world here in Austin, Texas. Shayla is also an international speaker who talks about talent, career, and lifestyle topics. You'll hear in today's conversation a little bit about what keeps her busy, both in her professional world and in her personal life. We'll hear a little bit more about what she speaks about internationally to different audiences. And together, she and I unpack perfectionism and burnout and what those two topics mean and how they correlate together and ways that we can manage those despite the challenges that they bring to us on a daily basis. We also talk about a quick strategy called contrasting, where you can learn how to have a crucial conversation with someone as you set boundaries when you're experiencing burnout. So if you're someone that considers yourself to be a perfectionist, if you're someone that is experiencing or has experienced burnout before in your career, or if you're just considering something new and wanna hear someone talk about career strategies from a unique perspective, this is gonna be a really valuable conversation for you to hear. So hope you all enjoy. Thanks for listening. Shayla, so glad that you're here. Welcome to Career Focus. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Dan. Yeah, I know that you're really busy just in the last few months. You've been traveling a lot. You've been speaking a lot. Um, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to lately and, and what keeps you busy. Sure. So you're right. I have been traveling quite a bit, some of it for fun. So <laughs> not all of it work related. But in terms of what keeps me busy, I work as a senior executive advisor over at Indeed. And that is a very broad job title. What that means is that I consult with our executive clients. So pretty big companies, our executive clients, I consult with them on their hiring and retention and recruitment strategy. And I curate engagements for them to come in and get what they need from subject matter experts to help them perform better in the field of talent acquisition. And so whatever that looks like, we talk a lot about equity, um, unconscious bias in the hiring process. I talk about diversity and inclusion, but I also talk about work well-being and employer brand. So we, we run the gamut of topics and, and it's a really cool job because it's never the same. Every day is a little bit different. We bring mm -hmm. people to us. Sometimes I travel. I was recently in Atlanta for a huge conference that the company puts on where I was the MC of the conference. And so I do a lot of uh, public speaking in addition to that. So mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. it's uh, never dull. Definitely. So you do a lot of public speaking internally and externally. Do you have a favorite, you know, looking inward or looking outward? <laughs> now, see, that's a hard question. <laughs> and it's only hard because it's so different, right? Mm -hmm. When I am doing public speaking internally for my company, it's just usually a different topic. Whereas when I'm doing it externally and more externally facing, depending on if I'm doing it on behalf of Indeed or if I'm sometimes I work for myself. So I have my own LLC and I go to companies. I'm speaking about different topics. So when I'm mm -hmm. speaking for Indeed, it's usually, like I said, about that equitable hiring. I talk a lot about that, about brand and employer branding. When I'm speaking outside of Indeed, I'm talking about things that I'm personally interested in. Some of the things we're going to talk about today. So perfectionism, burnout, imposter syndrome, like I'm having conversations at different companies about these things. In both places, I get to focus on something that I studied academically, which is unconscious bias. My academic research was focused on that. And so I can talk about that both internally and externally. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's hard to pick a favorite. Mm -hmm. 
you've, it sounds like you've got that unique combination that I've talked about on other episodes of, of career focus, where it's important to try and identify some of your personal values and incorporate as many as you can into your workplace. So that way the work that you're doing feels a little bit less like work. That's a, a big reason why I had you on the show, because I wanted to talk with someone that's doing it, that's putting it into action. And, you know, I think identifying perfectionism and burnout through this conversation, I'm hopeful is going to be impactful to folks that are listening or, or watching. So I'd love to hear in, in your own words, how would you define perfectionism and how would you define burnout and, and what's the connection between the two? Mm. So when I think about perfectionism, some people just uh, define it as a personality trait. I do not. I define it as a behavioral trait. So it's an act of being, right? It's an act of being wherein we perform in such a way where we do not allow grace for things to not be flawless. Often, when we're acting in this way, we can succeed. And that is what makes it so hard to break this pattern, right? Because we can do very well. And the story we tell ourselves is that we do very well because we are perfectionists, right? But what I believe is that we do well in spite of that perfection. I believe that we can do well and do just as well and probably do a better job in the absence of that perfectionistic behavior, that behavior that drives us to believe that everything has to be just so. Everything has to be flawless. We have to operate at this specific capacity. Otherwise, it, it doesn't even matter, right? A lot mm -hmm. of times that behavior is driven by the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell ourselves about our work, the stories we grew up with, about what it means to succeed, our definition of success. All of these things are stories. And those mm -hmm. stories inform our behavior. And a lot of times the, the behavior ends up being uh, perfectionism. Now, continuing to live that way, continuing to behave that way can lead to burnout. And that's where I see that connection, right? It can lead to burnout. I define burnout, though, in terms of lack. And when I say lack, I mean a lack of rest. So if, I, if I'm not resting enough, I can, you know, that's the one we're most familiar with. A lack of values alignment. So if I'm doing this work or I'm, if I'm in this environment and there's this constant misalignment with my values, that could lead to burnout. A lack of community, if I'm lonely and if I'm chronically lonely and I don't have that community, that could also lead to burnout if I don't have that sense of belonging. So a lack, a lack of these things can lead to us experiencing burnout. And then when we experience that, it becomes this cycle that's really, really hard to break. And so one of the things that you and I are going to talk about, we're going to talk about some things that I, that I believe can help alleviate the burnout. And it's really about filling those buckets to reduce that lack. So reducing the lack of rest, reducing the lack of community, reducing the lack of a sense of purpose and values alignment and, and the sense mm -hmm. of belonging, things like that. I think that summed up, you know, really nicely. What are some of the questions or things that, you know, folks should be asking themselves or thinking about as they look inward to determine if their values are aligned with what they're doing for work? It's funny because when I think about values, I often start with what makes me feel upset. <laughs> what makes me feel upset? What makes me feel resentful? When was the last time that I was so frustrated? When was the last time that I was super frustrated with work? When was the last time that I was in a situation wherein it seemed like everyone around me was doing okay 
everyone liked the company, everyone liked the team, everyone liked the job, but for some reason it wasn't clicking with me. Mm-hmm. When was the mm-hmm. last time I felt like that? So that's where I start. And we can, I'll, I'm going to put a pin right there and then I'm going to go to another question. Another question I ask is, when was the last time I felt very, very proud of my work? When was the last time I did something and I was like, man, that felt like flying. That felt really good. Mm-hmm. I feel so proud of that. So thinking about what I was proud of, what felt what made me feel strong, what made me feel empowered, and then thinking about what frustrated me or what made me feel like I did not belong in this group. So mm-hmm. one example that I like to use is for me, I have identified one of my values as time. I'm very time sensitive. I'm very efficient. Even at the start of this, I was like, okay, so we're doing this for 30, 45 minutes. <laughs> like I like to have these time parameters, right? This is just how I think about things. And I work, I once worked at a fantastic company. It was like, some devil wears Prada stuff. It was people would kill for this job type company. Mm -hmm. And I was just not feeling it. And everyone else loved it. It was a drinking the Kool-Aid type of situation. Everyone loved working there. Mm -hmm. And I I couldn't put my finger on why I was just not doing well. And one of the things I identified was that at this company, they had very loose boundaries around time. Meetings would go over. They would run over time. And so if you were in a leadership position like me, you have back-to-back meeting, that meant that your next meeting would not start on time, regardless of whether or not you were there on time, because Mm -hmm. they have a culture of meetings running over, (laughs) it wouldn't start on time regardless, right? And so I was in this situation where my time boundaries were not being honored. So I was leaving late every day. I was not able to take a lunch because like everything was just running into each other. And that was a an issue of of values misalignment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And that quickly mm -hmm. led me to feeling burnout because the emotional energy of not being in a place where my values were were aligned and the frustration that I felt, it quickly caused me to try to overcompensate. It caused me to rebel. I pushed back. I was wasting a lot of energy and that led to me feeling these feelings of burnout over time. And so that the question that I asked myself in this situation is like, this thing is frustrating me. Which one of my values is being dishonored here? Because this is a Mm -hmm. very frustrating thing. There's something that I believe is important that is being pushed to the side. And I need to figure out what it was. Well, I figured out that it was time sensitivity. That's something that's important to me. So if someone Mm -hmm. doesn't know where to start, I would start with, you know, what pisses you off? (laughs) (laughs) What makes you upset? (laughs) When you think about, you know, when was the last time you were at work or you were in a situation and you were like, man, this, this is not it like I don't like it and everybody else seems to be fine and I'm struggling that's a good place to start trying to identify what those values are for you and what's Mm -hmm. important to you I think that's such a good example Um, and one of the things you mentioned there at the end is trying to determine how much that value not taking place in your work actually impacts you I think it'd be perfect in a world where we're incorporating all of our values into our day-to-day work but that's not always realistic And so that's where you have to sometimes weigh. It's just like shopping for a house, but you might want a big backyard. You might want a two-story house. You might want a basement. You might want a garage, but maybe that's, that's out of your budget. So you have to figure out those things on the list that I want or feel like I need, what do I really not need? And it's kind of the same thing. And it sounds like for you, time sensitivity was a non-negotiable to you. If you can't operate within certain time boundaries that you prefer, If your cup isn't filled with other things that outweigh it, then that's probably the wrong place for you. So I love that example. Exactly. And I just, the other thing I want to say about that is what I encourage when I don't manage people anymore, but when I did, I would always do a values exercise with them. 
And we would identify, you know, maybe let's pick 10. And then I would say, okay, of this 10, now pick five. Like cut it in half, right? Now mm -hmm. of this five, rate them in order of importance because you're right. Mm -hmm. It's not always, you're not always going to be in a place where you're able to align with every single one of them. So it becomes really important for you to know which ones are your priorities. And it becomes really important for you to keep in mind that those mm -hmm. things will change based on mm -hmm. your life circumstances. Maybe, you know, I have a family and I have a child and my values are different now. Maybe they're not the same as they once were. So as our lives change, our values change. And it's important to also reassess and check in as needed, because again, uh, there is a, a link between that misalignment and feeling those feelings of stress, which ultimately cause burnout in the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Burnout can can mean and it can feel different to all types of people based on the settings. If there's a simplified way to define it or know if you're experiencing it, what does burnout feel like? That is a really hard one because it, you're right, it is different for different people. But I would say persistent feelings of stress or distress is what's going to lead to that burnout. The whole idea behind burnout is like a, a match being blown out, right? Like the flame is no more. It's just, mm -hmm. I got nothing left. I'm mm -hmm. depleted. At the end of the day, I have nothing. I dread Sunday night because mm -hmm. idea of waking up and going into this place on a Monday morning is just outright depressing. When I was experiencing chronic burnout, it manifested itself as a chronic self-doubt. Things mm -hmm. that I know that I am very skilled at, I, I had trouble doing it, right? So I just told you that I emceed a very large conference with thousands of attendees. There were celebrities there. This is what I do for a living. I am a public speaker by trade. Well, when I was in the throes of my burnout, I couldn't even get in front of a group of 10 people. It was just the absolute hit that it took on my self-confidence mm -hmm. was massive. Now, that's how it presented itself for me. And the reason I'm sharing that is because, like, that's not something we often talk about. Uh, we don't talk about the effect of burnout on things like our self-confidence and our feelings of self-worth and um, the self-doubt and imposter syndrome that accompanies that. We usually talk about it in terms of just feeling tired, feeling, mm -hmm. you know, exhausted. And those are also symptoms but it presents differently in different people. Mm -hmm. What happens when that flame goes out? Like what happens for you when you cannot find the motivation? How does that present for you? And that's mm -hmm. what I would, that's the question that I would ask people because ultimately that's what burnout is. It's the absence of motivation. It's the mm -hmm. absence of that entrance. A lot of people would agree with me who are experiencing this, but I got to a point where it was just like, I'll just quit the job and just figure it out financially. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I'll just quit and just, I have a little savings. I'll just figure it out because mm -hmm. it started to put that lack of motivation is a very, very hard hump to get over. Mm -hmm. And some, some people do that. There are yeah. people very close to me that they just had enough and something happened on a particular day. That was the straw that broke the camel's back and they left that job. You know, I've talked with another guest on the show before where we talked about taking a sabbatical. And sometimes if, mm -hmm. if folks have money saved up and they can realistically do that in a way that's not going to pull them back in their life, then um, that can be a way to provide some clarity and, and repurpose for themselves in their career. But at the same time, of course, you have to, you know, you have to determine, can you financially support yourself if you don't have a job or are there ways of turning it around? And, and that's actually the next question that I had for you. If you feel confidently that you're experiencing burnout, do you feel like there's a way to correct that and make it better? Or do you feel like at that point you're just managing it? That is such a good question. And I am going to be 100% transparent with you. This is still a question mark for me personally. 
I did another interview with the CEO of Indeed talking about this. Mm-hmm. And I even I think I even said to him, I don't even know if we get over it. I don't know if we get over it or if we just go back to work. <laughs> like, I don't know. But this is what yeah. I have found can help mitigate some of the effects of it. So back it back it up a little bit. I did a qualitative study just to try to understand how uh, certain groups of women, black women who work in professional settings like myself, were navigating feelings of burnout. I wanted to see if people were actually getting over it or if they were just going back to work. Uh, now, spoiler alert, I don't know. Okay, so we're still trying to figure that out. But there are some things that people were doing to try to alleviate it. And one of the most surprising things that I found was finding a sense of community, whether that be at work or outside of work, finding a sense of community and creating a sense of belonging for yourself and letting other people create that sense of belonging for you. Mm -hmm. Making the space for other people to show up for you is huge. And it is very Mm -hmm. hard if the story you tell yourself is, I am self-sufficient, I am independent, I can do this on my own, right? Like there are these stories that we tell ourselves that make it really hard for us to create the space for other people, our communities to show Mm -hmm. up for us. But if you can find a way to do that, that is one way to alleviate some of the stress of the burnout. You know, we talk about the financial stability. We can't all afford to take a month off from work. Absolutely. We can't all afford to take that kind of pay cut, but we can afford to find community because we can do that with or without financial resources, right? We can create space for people to show up for us. And so that's probably, if I was going to offer anybody any kind of advice, I would say find your folks and create a space for them to show up for you. And if you are having trouble with that, like try to be what you would want people to be for you. So I'll give you an example. I started a community group called the Sister Circle where I gathered Black women. We got together and we talked about the feelings of burnout, the feelings of perfectionism that we were experiencing, the people pleasing that we were doing that was leading to this kind of behavior. We talked about the stories we told ourselves that led to that kind of behavior, the feelings that we felt. And it made such a world of difference. And all I did was say like, hey, who's feeling this? Like, are you feeling this too? I'm feeling it. And it was a group of eight to 10 women. And we did this over the course of six weeks. Now, I'm also an overachiever. I know that. Like, I know that like, it's not in everyone to coordinate this. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to even be that significant. It can be one other person. That is still mm-hmm. community. That is still relationship. And that's still an opportunity to show up for each other. So that's what I would, um, that would be my piece of advice for that. I have a funny story for myself related to that last one about finding just one person that, that can help you feel a sense of community. So sometimes just at the end of the day or the end of the week, I'll gripe and moan about work to my girlfriend. I work from home a lot of times, so she's the only person I have to turn to sometimes in a moment's notice to gripe and moan or even praise work, whatever it is. And there were there was like a three-week period where I guess she recognized some patterns in things I was saying and realized that I was bitching more than usual. And so she's like, Dan, I'm here for you, but at the same time, I'm not there. I think you need to find, and this was, these were her words. She said, I think you need to find a work bitch. And what she meant was find a buddy at work that is experiencing the same thing. Because, you know, while she's there to listen to me and help me through some of those things, she, she doesn't know what it's like to work for my company. She doesn't know what it's like to provide solutions. And, and even if I'm not complaining to her about work, I'm probably going to complain to her about something else. And the same strategy she uses to help me with X 
doesn't mean that it's going to help with why. So find a work bitch to, to gripe and moan to. And, find a work um, bitch. That is real. <laughs> Put that on a yeah. t-shirt. So if I ever get merch made for the podcast, that'll be the first thing. <laughs> like, hashtag work bitch or something. But, it's um, true. But the reason though, Dan, the reason that that works is because someone can validate your experience for real. And you can mm -hmm. believe them because you, they can say, you know what? Me too. Like this happened to me. We work at the same place. I get mm -hmm. it. We're working in the same industry. Like me too. Like it's the same. And that validation goes a really, really long way. It really does. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's say that someone is in a burnout stage and maybe they're working to manage it or they're looking to get out of that situation entirely. What are some things that folks can do in the meantime to continue to take care of themselves? You know, we're in a place where people are having more and more access to therapy and therapeutic resources, and I think that's great. And there are certain principles from talk therapy that are entering the mainstream more and more. And one of these principles that we are leaning into heavily is this concept of setting boundaries and like setting parameters for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it, but I don't know if people know what that means. <laughs> um, I think people think they know what it means, but boundaries, these parameters that we set for ourselves to help us live a life wherein we're not overextending, we're not self-abandoning, but instead we are taking care of ourselves and prioritizing our well-being as much as we can. And that can be a really hard thing to do. And I, I use women as an example because a lot of times women and Black women, women of color, we have been socialized to overextend ourselves in the name of care, consideration, love, affection, whatever. And that, that again leads to that burnout. But what I would suggest to people is to start looking at, to my earlier point, start looking at what makes you feel resentful. If there's something that makes you feel resentful, chances are you need to set a boundary. Like if there's something, if you're walking through this life and you're like, Ugh, every time I get on a call with this person, they monopolize the conversation and it's just like so frustrating and I hate it and I don't want to do this is an opportunity. This is like a, a sign that you need to set a boundary in some way. And mm -hmm. if you still don't know where to start, like if you're like, I don't even know like how to begin. My recommendation is to make one small promise to yourself and keep it every single day. Try it for a month. And when I say a small promise, so I started this. My small promise was because I, I had a lot of trouble setting boundaries. So my small promise to myself is every morning, when I wake up, before I do anything, I'm going to have a glass of water. That's it. Before I do anything, I'm going to have a glass of water. Like I'll get up, I'll, you know, do my skincare, do all that stuff. And then I'm going to have a glass of water. I'm going to just sit down and have that. And then I'll do whatever needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a very small thing because it takes, what, a minute <laughs> to do that? And for a time it works because like, I'm like, yes, this is my small promise to myself, my glass of water to myself. But you would be surprised at how often that one minute gets infringed upon. My sister calls me at seven o'clock in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. Or I get a message from my manager who lives in Germany. So it's regular time for him, <laughs> but it's 7.30 for me and I'm drinking my water and I have to stop myself from picking up the phone and I have to say, no, no, I'm gonna finish my glass of water and then I'll do whatever else. That is practice, right? That's practice. It's practicing setting very small boundary. It's practicing keeping a small promise to myself. And when mm -hmm. you think about boundaries in that way, it's just, a, it's a promise to yourself. It's a small promise to yourself that you're going to take care of yourself however you need to. When you think about it that way, it starts to become easier to identify ways that you might be self-abandoning, ways that you might be letting that boundary be a little bit too permeable 
or letting it mm-hmm. slip. But I would say start there. Um, in fact, I encourage everybody listening to set a very small promise that they can keep to themselves. It can, you can use the glass of water thing. I took that from somebody else. So like do something Perfect. for yourself, something that is very small, very low stakes, right? Like it's not the end of the world if it doesn't happen, but at the same time, it gives you the opportunity to practice. Practice not self-abandoning, practice keeping the promise. And if someone infringes on that, practice setting the boundary so that you can mm-hmm. be better at it. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I think the beauty of that is that it forces you to reflect on yourself and figure out what's important to you as a person first mm-hmm. and as a professional second. You know, for yeah. you, that glass of water was probably a way for you to like mentally stimulate yourself before you jump into working. Or it's a time for you to just like be present before yes. you start talking to your sister on the phone, like you said. Mm-hmm. An example for me, I, I had a supervisor a few years ago who loved to do, he liked to get lunch um, when I would go into the office, which I very much appreciated, but it was always, it became a work meeting over lunch. Yeah. And yeah. that's not, that wasn't the initial goal of why we were getting lunch. And, you know, I had to, I had to tiptoe around this topic, but he, it was very well received, but basically I had to tell him like, my lunchtime is my chance to recharge. It's my chance yeah. to like refuel and, you know, mentally digest all the things that happened earlier in the day and get ready for what's ahead. And as much as I enjoy the time that we get at lunch and especially the quality time that we get between supervisor and employee, I'm having a hard time sometimes going into the afternoon without having that mental um, yeah. break over lunch. And so that's just another example where it involved somebody else. But just as you reflect on what's important to you on a daily basis, trying to incorporate those more and more and set those boundaries that you were talking about, I think is a, is a yeah. great strategy. And I also want to just encourage people to practice the language. Like there's nothing wrong with practicing how you're going to say this to someone because it can be, it can feel really intimidating. Like mm-hmm. you had this conversation with your supervisor. So that could be a really intimidating thing. You know, I always encourage people to use a skill called contrasting. That is part of the Crucial Conversations. If you guys haven't read it, <laughs> the Crucial Conversations is a framework for having hard conversations. But there's a skill called contrasting where all you do is state your intentions, right? Look, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be disrespectful or I'm not trying to be unappreciative. I love having lunch with you. I'm just trying to make sure that I can get the mental break that I need so that I can do my best work. And so because mm-hmm. of that, X, Y, Z, right? So like a contrasting statement is when you state your intention to someone. I'm not trying to blah, blah, blah. I'm just trying to do X, Y, Z. So how might someone uh, misunderstand your intention or get offended? You try to curb that before you even state the boundary. And then that way it makes it a little bit easier to to set that boundary with them. I agree with you to kind of recite it and practice it. A good first step for me when I do that is to type it out first. I'm a quick typer and it's easy for me to type ABC and then read it and be like, no, I don't want A and like delete it or copy and paste it, move it around, practice it that way too. If you can document it before you start saying it too, that can, that can be a strategy that helps. So Shayla, I want to ask you a little bit more about some of your personal passions and things that you'd love for the audience to, to learn more about you and things that you're involved with. Sure. We can go on and on. So (laughs) there are a couple of things that I'm involved with around the community. So I do live in Austin and I do a lot of, it's really important to me to do social impact work. Social impact is one of my values. And so I try to work in alignment with that. And so there are two organizations that I volunteer with that I just want to share for anybody who's looking to volunteer or looking for something similar in their hometown. So the first is called Keep Austin Fed. 
And this is a food rescue program. They have them all over the United States. And basically a food rescue program is where a program where we go and pick up surplus food from restaurants, from grocery stores, and we deliver it to our neighbors in need of nourishment. So we deliver it to different communities, different shelters, so that that food doesn't go to waste. And there are, if you just get on the Google and you search for food rescue in your city, chances are there's a nonprofit very similar to the one that we have here that allows you to do that. And I, it takes about one hour. So I do that like every other week. I spend an hour doing a food rescue. And I think that, I don't know, it just, it's a little, it's a little way of giving back. It's something that's important to me. So that's thing number one. And then uh, another organization that I'm very proud of, I'm on the board of a nonprofit called Little Bit of Good. We are a capacity building nonprofit. And what that means is that we help other nonprofits achieve uh, their fiscal goal. We offer fiscal support, but we also offer training and development, capacity building, so that people know how to write grants, how to analyze and get the data that they need to demonstrate how they're allocating resources and funds so that they can get the help that they need. What we saw was that there is a huge disparity in financial resourcing between Black-led nonprofits and nonprofits that do not serve the Black community. And so we wanted to help these uh, Black-led and Black-serving nonprofits in Central Texas achieve their financial goals. And so we have a nonprofit. It's called Little Bit of Good. I encourage everybody to check us out. It's one of my, it's a personal thing. It's very close to my heart. And I think that I'm just really proud of the work. So I wanted to share that with you. And we've talked a lot about community in this conversation. And it's so important because we're in the throes of a loneliness crisis in this country and I think in other parts of the world. And we were never meant to live this way. We were never meant to live in this isolated state. We need other people. But due to a bunch of factors, uh, some of which are outside of our control, some of which are you know, just societal, um, a lot of people are walking around feeling very, very lonely and very disconnected. And so I started this project, it's still very new. It's called Hey Stranger here in Austin. And it is a social dining experiment. Uh, my question is, can we build a lasting connection, people that we've never met over dinner? Like, are there ways that we can connect? And so what it is, is people sign up, they RSVP for a dinner at a secret location. They don't know where they're going until 24 hours beforehand. And then they come to this location and they have dinner with six strangers that they've never met. And as a host, your host will facilitate a guided conversation, asking a series of questions to help everyone at the table get to know each other better. It's a really simple concept, but the goal is to help people find connection in whatever way that we can do that. And it's also to, to eat really good food, <laughs> but it's to help foster a sense of community and connection among people who might not have otherwise ever met. And yeah. I'm seeing a lot of success because what I'm finding is that people need spaces like that. Not everybody yeah. does well in a big networking event, right? Absolutely. Not everybody does well in, in the big happy hour. Some people need more intimate, smaller spaces to um, connect and get to know others. And so, hey, stranger, that's what we're, we're trying it out. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. And if folks are signing up for that, is there a, a maximum amount of spots or do you provide, you know, a certain number of facilitated tables regardless mm -hmm. of how many folks sign up? Yeah. So the maximum amount of spots is seven. So I only allow seven spots per month. So it is very, it's very get in where you fit in. I didn't expect for it to take off the way it did. My very first one sold out in like 20 minutes. 
but it just shows that people are looking for opportunities to connect in a low stakes environment. So again, mm-hmm. to my point about networking, a lot of networking events are very career focused. They are very large scale and they're not necessarily meant to build authentic connection. They're more meant to um, capitalize on potential career opportunities, which is great. Right. There's a time and a place for that. Um, but this is, it's very small. There's only seven slots available. I might open up more if um, people are interested and we continue to see success from it. But if you follow, I do let people know when the spots are open up, opening up so that they can set an alarm and, and get a ticket. <laughs> well, I'll definitely put the social media handle for Hey Stranger into the show notes and make sure we promote it. And I think that all the initiatives you just mentioned is really important. I think for minority groups and various populations, not just funding, but also training and human resources around grant writing and grant education is super important. Like, yeah, in theory, the ability to write a grant for XYZ can be great. But then when you actually get into the grant writing process, it's really tricky. Not everyone knows how to do it. And even if they do, they don't necessarily want to spend the time on it. So if there's anyone listening that's a grant writer that wants to get involved, I'm sure that there's opportunities for that. And then I'm a big foodie and partly why is because some of the best conversations that I've ever had with people is over dinner. And some people that I met when I first moved to Austin, for example, five years ago that I never knew before, I still stay in touch with because I met them at some type of event that was over dinner. So I'm passionate around these things too. And I'm so glad that you're involved with these, Shayla. If anyone has any questions or just wants to get in touch with you, is there a best recommendation on, on how they should do so? Sure. Yeah. I'm on the social. So I'm on social media. My Instagram is probably the most accessible. So it's at Dr. Dr. Shayla, my first name, C-H-E-L-E-L-A. Gosh, can I spell my name? (laughs) C-H-E-L-A-M-A-R-I-E. So at Dr. Shayla Marie on Instagram. I encourage you all to check me out. Follow me there. I am responsive. So if you ask me a question, I will reply back to you. I'm also on LinkedIn. So my first name, Shayla, and my last name, White. You can find me on LinkedIn. You're free to reach out there. But sometimes those LinkedIn messages will go to like a different folder. So like if you do connect, just send me a note. And then that way I can know how you found me and and I'll connect back and and we can chat that way. Yes, I'll definitely include all of your information in the show notes, Shayla. I want to thank you for shedding so much light into perfectionism and burnout and ways to manage and address them as well as just showing so much personality and, and you know, personal elements into today's conversation. Can't thank you enough and I'm looking forward to connecting again very soon. Thank you so much, Dan. I'm looking forward to it too.